It's time for your local weekly analysis, Slow County Public Policy and the Law, with your host, Stu Jenkins. The Union Forever, hurrah, boys, hurrah, down with the traitor. Welcome to Slow County Public Policy and the Law, only at K News 98.5. I'm Stu Jenkins. As a lawyer, I've tried cases here since 1978. Among my many cases have been public interest suits striking unconstitutional election law statutes, City of San Luis Obispo ordinances criminalizing homelessness, and the Bureau of Cannabis Control's authorization of cannabis billboards on Highway 101. It has been my privilege to repeatedly serve as Superior Court Special Master. On Slow County Public Policy and the Law, I bring you officials, lawyers, and organizations shaping public policy and law. Last week, I spoke with Victor Gomez, former mayor of Hollister and now the executive director of Californians Against Lawsuit Abuse. His organization urges California's voters and legislators to throttle back private attorney general fees awards to lawyers representing employees when their bosses violate wage, hour, and working condition law. Then, for an opposing perspective, I spoke with an effective local attorney who has brought important public interest employment cases, Mr. Alan Hutkin. San Luis Obispo's Alan Hutkin explained why employees and residents of slums could never secure lawyers to enforce fair labor standards and landlord duties without a court being able to award private attorney general fees after a trial had determined the employer or slumlord was found to have broken the law. If you missed those important policy perspectives, log into the podcast of last week's interviews at knews985.com. Then click on the tab for Slow County Public Policy and the Law and scroll down to the latest podcasts. Today, we have two important voices weaving policies and adopting ordinances in the city and then in the county of San Luis Obispo. In our first hour, I will be pleased to introduce to you veteran San Luis Obispo City Councilwoman, Andy Pease, to explain city policies on transportation, parking, green building, and recycling for supplies of water. In my second hour, I will converse with 3rd District Supervisor Don Ortiz-Leg about San Luis Obispo County's recent changes in policy direction on a wide variety of issues affecting your family and your quality of life. These will include current events, and actions and prospects that the county has taken or is examining for increasing availability of clean electric energy and providing adequate water supplies for residents, industry, agriculture, tourism, and commerce. But now, let me introduce to you Andy Pease. Welcome, Andy. Thanks, Stu. Great to be here. Well, it's great to have you here. I want to uh, compliment you. I think a lot of public officials of a uh, progressive perspective are frankly afraid to come on K News. <laughs> 98.5, but our listeners uh, want to hear from you. Well, thanks. Uh, I appreciate your uh, inviting folks of all perspectives. That's right, and that's what we do here. So I, I wanted to go a little bit into uh, just you and your history. How long have you lived in San Luis Obispo? 
So 26 years, my husband and I moved here and oh raised our daughters here. Yeah. And, oh, gosh, 26 years. They're probably in college by now. <laughs> and and, and out, out, of college, of, out of college. Right. So, yeah. And uh, you, uh, you have a degree in architecture. Correct, yeah. And where did you get that? Uh, so I went to MIT and I uh, got a bachelor's of science in architecture there. I grew up in California, but was able to uh, go to school back east and then lived in Atlanta for uh, a couple of years and then Los Angeles. And then uh, my husband and I were looking for a place to settle in and raise a family and ended up here in St. Louis. And here you are. Dreamy. And I understand you taught at Cal Poly? Uh, yeah. So when I first moved here, I worked for a local architecture firm for seven years and then decided to go out of my own to focus on green building design and sustainability. And so in that time, I did some part-time teaching at uh, Cal Poly and, and started a firm. And so, yeah, our firm, Inbalance Green Consulting, we've just hit uh, 15 years. So small firm that I co-own with a friend and have four employees. It's great. And and if people want to contact your firm, uh, how do they do that? So inbalancegreen.com. And uh, yeah, it's a, you know, we just, we do all kinds of uh, uh, commercial, uh, residential architecture. So I do that half time and then I do city council half time is kind of how I'm able to, to split both. Well, that's amazing because uh, uh, in many ways, a city council job is almost a full-time job if you do it right anyway. It, it can be endless. Uh, you know, anything that there's always more to do, I guess, is sure. as you are accurately stating. So now when you're, you're talking about in-balance green consulting, uh, what is it that you do for folks to um, help them in their construction have a more sustainable kind of building? Right. So we do LEED certification, leadership in energy and environmental design. We do energy compliance modeling. Uh, and we work all over California uh, helping helping folks um, lower their carbon footprint. We talk a lot about that. And we provide green building education and energy code information. Uh, we have There's a California green building code. So there's a lot of uh, requirements that people have to do and some that they just want to do. So we're we're helping them out on those kinds of things. Well, good. Yeah. All right. Well, um, you're in your second term as city councilwoman. Yeah. And uh, so I, I suppose the natural question is, are you going to run for mayor after that since you're termed out, or, or it, what are yeah. your plans? So, uh, no, not going to run for mayor. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so I first ran in 2016 and then uh, was reelected in 2020. It's been great. And I've really enjoyed my time and uh, feel really good about the work that we've been doing on council. And we have term limits in San Luis Obispo in the city. And so I'll be done. And that's great. So I could run for mayor. Happily, we have a wonderful mayor. I think she's doing a great job. And and it is a, a much bigger ask, honestly. I think it would be really hard to be able to do my regular job and be able to um, serve mayor at that kind of level. So uh, so I think I'll, you know, be go back to being a citizen and maybe see if I can, you know, serve on some committee or statewide something or, you know, still still uh, be able to use my experience and skills, but not to the, to the level of commitment I'm at right now. Statewide something sounds like an ambition, but no, uh, we, not, we won't go into that today. No, not like an assembly <laughs> type of thing, but, you know, maybe a regional water board or, you know, something mm -hmm. that's not um, another elected office, but maybe there's some appointed something that I could do. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Well, and... Uh, what drew you to run for the job? 
Yeah, I was uh, always interested in, and committed to environment, uh, environmental issues and sustainability, and I've been really fortunate to be able to incorporate that into my professional life. So, so that felt really good and something that the city is, is committed to. Uh, and increasingly, though, uh, looking at social justice issues and especially issues of economic inequality and those kinds of disparities were really concerning to me. And I felt like in my architectural role that I was pretty limited in being able to contribute to that. And locally, I think that uh, is really tied into housing. And I'm supportive of housing. I know something, a little something about housing. So uh, so that's, I think, what stirred me to want to be able to get involved in local government. I think you can really make a difference at that local level. And I also felt like um, local government is uh, where you can really restore your faith in democracy, right? Because we are so accessible so that people's concerns uh, can be um, heard and we can make changes. So that was a lot of what I was interested in. Um, and, you know, environment and equity, but also economics, uh, both as a small business owner and then just understanding the relationship of, of all of that triple bottom line. Um, balance that you need. Well, and and uh, there's a lot there. So <laughs> let, let me let me break that down a little bit for sure. our listeners, folks. We're listening to Andy Pease, who's a veteran city councilwoman. <laughs> She's been elected twice uh, in San Luis Obispo. Let's just talk a little bit about the economics uh, and the disparities in economics, particularly about home ownership, home accessibility, the ability to find a home in San Luis Obispo right. at an, an affordable price. What do you feel that you've been able to accomplish on that? And, and I'm going to ask two questions at the same <laughs> time. What do you view as the uh, next steps that the city can take? Yeah. Yeah. Great questions. I think a lot of folks, um, that's top of mind, right, in terms of affordability and housing and even just being able to find housing if you can afford it. So I think um, the council before I joined and then the subsequent councils, including the current one, are very much interested in facilitating more inventory. We just need more units of housing in the city is one of the big things. So we've been um, working on, uh, you know, approving the Avila Ranch and South San Luis, uh, San Luis Ranch projects to be able to have 1,300 units of housing there and continuing to have a lot of um, kind of market rate rentals coming on. And then a big push for affordable housing and funding of affordable housing. So deed restricted for very low income, low income, moderate income even. So deed restricted housing for uh, renters to be able to uh, have resources in a variety of income levels. Let, let me test that sure. for a second. Yeah. Because this is public policy in the law here. Absolutely. We had some, uh, I live right downtown, as you know. Yeah. And we had some condominiums put up next to us, uh, which uh, turned out to be, uh, uh, they turned out better than they were originally planned. Uh, for our historic neighborhood, but there was deed restriction on one unit. Mm. And when we tested how that would work uh, by going to various places to find out how somebody got eligible to either buy or rent that, it turned out there was no enforcement mechanism and there was no monitoring mechanism. Um, and I suspect that hasn't changed, uh, but maybe you can tell us how the city, if it does it all, follows up and uh, makes sure that the deed restrictions are complied with. Yeah. 
I, I will not uh, say to you that it's a perfect system uh, because we know that there's always going to be um, uh, lapses. Uh, and so we're doing enforcement as best we can. There is an enforcement program. There is a qualification program. Uh, it's run through the um, the city has a monitoring program, and and we've caught folks like somebody who had a deed restricted affordable unit and then moved out of the area and sublet it. You know, it's like okay, that's not allowed, and so we had to you know go in and fix things. Um, we go and make sure that the tenants are getting the rented rates that have been advertised. Uh, so, so there is uh, definitely verification. There's a vetting process where we've been um, working. Uh, it's been hard to to manage in house, so we've been working with a, um, a sub consultant to be able to um, have a more central system. That consultant, you know, that we're having a bit of a learning curve there as well. So that's just been a year uh, in progress. So we're working on that more. I would say any time that you think um, that there's an enforcement uh, that it's not being practiced per the deed restriction, let the city know. Oh my gosh, that's well, and, really and important to us. For our listeners, uh, folks, you're listening to Councilwoman. NDPs of San Luis Obispo City. What department would uh, a listener contact if they thought that there was uh, a violation of those deed restrictions? Sure. It's run through our community uh, development department. So that's the building department and planning. But honestly, you can reach the clerk's office. We also have a new app called Ask Slow. Ah. Uh Ask Slow. And you can use that on your phone or go to the website. And uh, it's really convenient for just about any concern you have, whether it's, um, you know, reporting uh, trash uh, or shopping carts, or if you see a um, have a a question, just about any kind of uh, concern or question or compliment. We take compliments as well. Um, but if you have a concern, that's a great way to um, put it into a central system. It gets routed, and, and we do take that very seriously. Well, good. Yeah. Okay. That's, uh, that's good to know. And I, I suspect that's evolved because uh, at the time that uh, we tested that, uh, there was no one. Oh, uh, yeah. And, and so, anyway. Okay, good feedback. Let's, we'll let's, talk, about, let's talk about water. 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 Uh, you are the, uh, I think you're the president of the, uh, of, yeah. uh, I'm, I'm going to say RAC, <laughs> right, W-R-A-C, so. which stands for? It, so I'm the current chair of the Water Resources Advisory Committee. It's actually a countywide committee, so it's an advisory body to the Board of Supervisors. And it has all of the water purveyors in our county, uh, representatives from each of the um, uh, supervisor districts, all of the cities and the um, uh, community service districts, all the folks that have um, water issues. So it's been it's a great way for people to network and uh, have our shared understanding of um, uh, just kind of elevate the conversation in a cooperative way about water resources. Well, and, and it's uh, actually very impressive. Um, folks, if you have an interest in water, and I know a lot of our listeners do, many of you already know about this, this committee. It's the Water Resources Advisory Committee. You can go online and you can actually look at the uh, agendas and the, the membership is daunting. Yeah, it's a uh, very long list. <laughs> there's one page in really small print. It's all five supervisors. There's uh, and and representatives of the supervisors. The supervisors themselves don't uh, typically attend. Okay, yeah. and and then you've got 
at-large members, environmental development, agriculture. There's, uh, of course, each of the cities has representatives, which is why you're on it. Correct. And uh, then there's water districts, and uh, how shall I say it? It looks very unwieldy. Yeah, it's a really interesting group. I feel like we do a great job of getting dif- different perspectives. And it's, you know, it's an advisory body, so um, you just never know who's going to um, uh, be able to, uh, ha- what conversations we can have. But it's very respectful. And and some of them are hard conversations, right? Uh, to be able to talk about groundwater is uh, often a contentious issue, of course, but sure. uh, yeah, we get good information and we're able to help staff provide a public forum for them to be able to look at policies, um, get feedback on policies that they're working on. Well, I know you got a chance to listen to the program where Greg Graywald came on, mm-hmm. uh, a wonderful guest, very knowledgeable. Yes. Uh, we had uh, Senator uh, Laird on right after him mm-hmm. and um, same same issues, uh, and basically, you've got this tension going on between the amount of water we have, uh, how it's used, the fact that there's almost 40 million of us in California now, right. um, and uh, you know, when I moved here, there were uh, 70,000 residents of the county and 144,000 dairy cows. Uh, <laughs> so uh, it's quite a change now. Mm-hmm. Um, how is this committee working on um, either providing more water or using the water that we have in a more efficient way? Right. Yeah, it's a, a great conversation, and I'm glad you've been bringing folks on to be able to talk about water. I think there's a lot of good news in the water world in the sense that uh, there's still some efficiencies that we can gain with, um, like, irrigation in particular. I think a lot of our growers are really getting on board with figuring out ways to use less water um, than they, you know, than might have been an older practice. I think uh, landscape irrigation is another their big water use for ornamental landscape and so folks again are getting water wise so I think we're still uh, and I think we have room there I think we have space to be able to further conserve our water resources which is certainly the the, the ideal scenario there and then uh, can I can I sure. test that with yeah, you for absolutely. a second yeah. uh, because this this is I think uh, particularly for our listeners um, progress and prosperity used to be linked um, and uh, progress usually didn't involve deprivation. Mm. And a lot of our, uh, a lot of the actions that have been taken recently uh, in our state uh, focus on depriving people of the ability to do things as a way, of, you know, conservation, I suppose, as a way to um, make sure that there's enough supply to go around. Um, but but are there any efforts to generate more supply or more storage of water when, uh, what was it, uh, uh, in uh, John Steinbeck's books, he talked about how on the Central Coast you had a 30-year cycle, 15 years of uh, heavy rain, followed by 15 years of drought, and everybody would get rich in the 15 years of heavy rain, and then they'd go bust in Mm -hmm. the drought years. Mm Um, are there ways that uh, you all are focused on trying to store more water yeah. to, from the 
from the heavy rain years. Right. So, um, uh, yeah, a couple thoughts on that. I think one is I would um, I would push back a little against the deprivation that we're depriving folks in mm. terms of uh, the water conservation. I think our aesthetic is changing. I think that we, um, you know, tropical, uh, big, lush green grasses, those look funny to me now, right? I think that having our uh, landscape match what our natural environment is to a certain extent is really appropriate. So, uh, and we want to make sure people have water for trees, water for your food production, you know, those types of things. So I think it's um, right-sizing our water use for what's most important. Um, so that's in, in terms of uh, the, the good side of conservation, in my mind. Um, and then, and um, in terms of resiliency during those droughts, I think storing water in the ground is uh, absolutely the way we need to go. And our groundwater sustainability um, commissions are, are looking to do that. So keep the water in the ground when we can and then restock it on those rainy days. So we're, we're trying to come up with the infrastructure to do that. And we're going to talk about that after our break, but I want to take a little minute. Sure to talk to folks about what's coming up and uh, so yeah on uh, and what we've been doing uh, we've been talking about Senator Laird's appearance here and on May 27th your state senator John Laird appeared here on Slow County Public Policy and the Law much of his focus was on two bills in the state legislature that will shape how offshore wind turbines and the harbor facilities needed to construct them, install them, and maintain them are probably coming to San Luis Obispo County. If you want to follow those two bills, that's SB 286 and AB 80. SB 286 will face a hearing you can log into at the Assembly Natural Resources Committee on June 26th at 2.30 p.m. You can go online and do this, folks. And Don Addis' Assembly Bill 80 will go before the Senate Natural Resources and Water Committee on July 10th. I'm not sure what time, but again, you can log into the state Senate's site and you can listen to it. You can even make arrangements to comment on it by phone. So, folks, you're listening here to Slow County Public Policy and the Law, and we have Andy Pease, San Luis Obispo City Councilwoman. So stay tuned right after news.